I'd like for us to remember how the Gospel of Luke begins. He begins with a rather outrageous claim. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke begins the Gospel by saying, other people have tried to tell you the story of Jesus, but those folks can step aside. Because I am about to tell you some aspects of this story that are going to, quote, give you a new confidence in who Jesus is. What a bold promise. Because what Luke is basically promising the reader here is that they will hear things in the gospel of Luke that they will not hear in the other gospels, that the other gospel writers have apparently missed. And it is in these particular pieces that Luke believes will reveal something about ourselves, too. Something in ourselves that we've also missed. What is it that Luke's version of the story contains that the other gospel writers apparently do not? Well, we get the first indication of that right in the very first chapter. Because in Luke chapter 1, Luke apparently has been granted exclusive access to characters and conversations that we hear about only in Luke that the other gospel writers do not say a word about. No other gospel, for example, says anything to us about the conversation between the angel and Zechariah in Luke 1. No other gospel writer says a word to us about the conversation between Mary and Elizabeth. No other gospel writer says a word to us about the angels that burst into the night sky and what they said to the shepherds on the hillside. No other gospel writer says a word to us about what the two men were saying as they were walking along the road to Emmaus after the events of Jesus' crucifixion. And no other gospel says a word to us about this particular conversation so vividly story told to you just moments ago between Pilate and the chief priests in today's scripture lesson. In other words, whereas the other gospels spin their stories about Jesus by primarily focusing only on those scenes in which Jesus himself is present, like a camera crew following Jesus around filming a documentary, somehow Luke has gained exclusive access. His camera crew is able to get footage that no one else can seem to get, not just footage of Jesus, but private conversations about Jesus. In literary terms, Luke is serving as an omniscient third-person narrator because he's able to reveal to us, the readers, what people were saying about Jesus when Jesus himself was not present. And it is on this basis that Luke can make his astonishing claim at the beginning of his gospel. He says, what I am about to tell you just might change your life. So what is it? 
What is it about all these conversations? What's the common thread that ties all of these private conversations together to constitute Luke's bold claim? Well, think about the conversation between Zechariah and the angel. The angel surprises Zechariah so much that the news that, she, that he shares with Zechariah forces him to make a choice. Zechariah, will you believe this news or not? Skip ahead to the conversation between Mary and Elizabeth. You know that story well. Elizabeth's child leaps in her womb when Mary shows up. And the two of them, these two women, converse with each other about the astonishing news of the last days and months and how all of it seems just too unbelievable. And when the... Shepherds are simply doing their job when the angels burst into the night sky. The angels share news with them that was just too hard to believe. And fast forward to those two men walking along that road to Emmaus. What were they doing? They were talking about Jesus, about the events of Jesus' death and burial and and his crucifixion. And what they were wrestling with was what they were going to make of this Jesus now. Over and over again, Luke takes his camera crew and points his lens to people during moments of their lives when they were wrestling over the deepest questions about who Jesus is. Luke is most interested in those private conversations that are taking place where Jesus is not there, wondering with those people whether they were going to believe in the good news or not. And so the stage is set for Luke chapter 23, for the scripture reading of this morning. Up until this point, Jesus had already been through hell. He was arrested in the middle of the night in the garden. He had been dragged into the courtyard of Pilate for Pilate only to come to the conclusion that Jesus himself was not guilty of any crime. But what he did discover was that Jesus was a Galilean. So by virtue of his heritage, he moved Jesus over to Herod, the tetrarch of the people of Galilee. And Herod came to the same conclusion, that there was no guilt in this man. And so in order to appease the crowd, you know the story, Herod had Jesus whipped and beaten and tortured, hoping that the crowd would be satisfied. And having not satisfied the crowd, Herod came to the conclusion that there was only one sentence left And that was execution, and only Pilate could utter that verdict. And so for a second time, Jesus went to Pilate, and that is when Luke gives us the most intriguing private access to any conversation in his entire gospel. Pilate called the chief priests together, those chief priests who were the accusers of Jesus, and he said to them, look, fellas, this man has done nothing wrong. I find no guilt in him. 
I have questioned him. He has been beaten. He has been whipped. His face has been bloodied. His back has been scarred. And apparently all of this torture has not worked. There is no legal basis for me to keep him any more. And you know what happened next. Those very same voices who shouted Hosanna just five days prior. Those very same hands that waved those palm branches on the first Palm Sunday. Those very same bodies that gave up their outer garments to pave the city streets of Jerusalem when Jesus entered in. Those very same people who shouted Hosanna were now shouting, crucify him. And so Luke, the gifted and skilled documentarian, whose cameras and microphones have already given us such unprecedented access to the minds and the hearts and the conversations about Jesus, then offers us four, four of the loneliest and saddest words in his biography. Because in verse 23, when Pilate surveyed the passion of a maddening crowd thirsting for the blood of an innocent man, Luke tells us these four words. Their voices won out. And so it is here that Luke, in fact, has one more bit of footage to record. Because this gospel made an astonishing claim at the beginning that our lives might be transformed by this story. And so for this gospel to really instill confidence in the reader, Luke has one more conversation to record. And so he points his camera at you. And he puts the microphone to your heart. And he listens to the stirring conversation that is happening within your spirit, in your own soul. And he presses record. The truth of the matter is, Luke has been recording you all along this Lenten journey. You may not have realized it or not. These last five weeks have been a documentary, in fact, about your character that hidden part of you that only you and God know about. I'd remind you that's where this whole Lenten journey started, back on Ash Wednesday, with a discussion about character, those innermost motivations and priorities that only you know about, that only God knows about, those parts of your soul that you would rather keep hidden from everybody else, but in fact drive every part of your behavior, your character has been documented these past five weeks. And I don't know what you've discovered, but if you're anything like me, you've discovered that you've got a long way to go. We all do. 
We have a long way to go in order to fulfill those five marks of Christian character that John Wesley wrote about. We have a ways to go before we can love God fully, rejoice in God, give thanks to God at all times, pray without ceasing, and love other people even when it's hard to do so. And I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot about character. And if Luke has been recording your innermost conversations over the past five weeks, he's not done. Because he's not only recorded these past five weeks, he's interested in the next five days of your life as well. The week that lies ahead is quite certainly a conversation in your heart about who Jesus is. It is a conversation filled with conflict and suspense and controversy. When you come and join us on Monday, Thursday, you will hear Jesus tell his disciples this astonishing teaching that the purpose of life is not constituted by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve. And that what matters most in life is not the stuff you possess and the stuff you achieve, but by the love that you give. And it will force a conversation in your heart about what is really most important to you. And then when you join us on Good Friday, you will hear again the story of how Jesus willfully submitted himself to the cross and assumed a punishment that he most assuredly did not deserve. And it is in that moment when the candles on the altar are extinguished, when the pyramids have been stripped and the chancel laid bare and the sanctuary silenced and darkened, the only noise will be the conversation within your own soul about the amazing love that God displayed for you in Jesus Christ. And the question, will you believe him or not? And then you will get to Holy Saturday in that lonely period of waiting as Jesus lay in the tomb. The conversation you will have with God at that time is how you are longing for resurrection in your life. And your prayer will be that God might raise you up with Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Here's the only question that matters. What will be the result of that conversation? Will it be the result like that of Mary and Elizabeth where they come to the conclusion of not only believing in that news but magnifying God's name with great joy? Or will the result of that conversation be like Pilate and the crowds in which all of those other voices, you know what voices I'm talking about, those voices within you and in some cases around you, the haunting voices of your past, the tempting voices of sin, the bitter voices of brokenness, the shouting voices of violence and polarization and division and revenge, those voices 
will those voices win out? Or will a different voice be heard? The voice of God's grace, the voice of a love so amazing and so divine, the voice of one who took the cross in our place. Will that be the voice that you hear? Most importantly, will that be the voice that you follow? Let's pray together. Oh God, here we are once again on the brink of another holy week. We confess to you both of our tendencies to be both a people of Hosanna and a people that calls for crucifixion. Both a people that yearns for salvation and a people who rejects your grace. Reconcile those voices within us by helping us to hear the one voice that matters, the voice that comes from the cross, the voice that comes from the one who took that cross in our place, and the voice of the one who raised that Jesus from the dead in order to raise us to new life as well. Oh God, as we journey through Holy Week together, I pray that you will be with the people of this congregation as we hear these stories again, as we see them ritualized through service. And may we hear the call to love and a call to sacrifice. May that sacrifice begin within our own lives so that dying, we might be raised with Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so as a response to God's word, we invite you to prepare God's tithes and your gifts and offerings as we invite the ushers to come forward.